correctly with the correct amount. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. radiocom Welcome to Me and Steve Talk RPGs, a podcast where me and my friend Steve try and help you get the most out of your role-playing game experience. Hey folks, welcome back to Me and Steve Talk RPGs. I'm here tonight with my good friend Steve. Hi Steve. Hello, how are you today? Oh, tired. Weather was nicer today than they called for. I was happy with that. Yeah, I, I will take a day when they call for thunderstorms and not have thunderstorms. Yes. Well, at least my house and at work, it didn't rain at all, I don't think. No, we did, I don't think we got any rain. It was gorgeous today. Yeah. Now, yesterday, tomorrow, on the other hand. Yeah, yesterday was... Yesterday woke me up out of a dead sleep because we had <laughs> we had a lightning strike that was close enough that it shook the house. Like, Ooh. you know how when thunder hits and it's loud enough to shake the house? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's... I mean, I like... I love watching thunderstorms, but I don't know. From a distance. Well, ish. In a, <laughs> on a porch. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's kind of cool. My back... I have windows at the back of my living room that look kind of out over the edge of a, the valley. Mm-hmm. And so you get a pretty good, you know, you can look out those and usually watch the storm pretty decent or that, or look out the windows on the front side of the house. But yeah, anyway. yeah, I can peek out, pick a direction and watch a storm or go for a little drive up the road and watch a storm really nicely. But yeah, that's beside the point. <laughs> All right. So uh, let's see, before we get into what we're talking about, do we have a, a D20 network podcast of the week or spotlight or whatever it is we call it to share with everybody. Who is that this week, Steve? Yeah. That podcast is story told. Yes. Story Told is, I guess you could call it an RPG variety show. They do um, oh, game discussions, interviews, tend probably towards more narrative games. A lot of World of Darkness, Powered by the Apocalypse, Blades in the Dark, or yeah, Forged in the Dark. You know, that kind of stuff. A lot of really cool uh, narrative indie stuff. And they also just started, as, uh, as we record, only one episode is actually out for it. They just started a new AP using Promethean the Created. Mm. It's called The Body Electric. And uh, yeah, Ooh, as cool. we record, uh, they have one episode live. So uh, hard to say when you'll actually hear this, but yeah, they'll probably have two or three out by the time this goes live. But uh, yeah. anyway, they're very cool. Logan and Griffin are your, your hosts over there. And great show. You can find it at storytold.libson.com or there'll be a link in the show notes. Sweet. Yep. So this week, the brains of Steve and Steve have decided to talk about house rules, which is something I think, you know, we've kind of touched on it here and there. And I think everybody kind of knows, well, maybe not everybody. <laughs> Most of your experienced gamers know what we're talking about. We say house rules. And well, maybe we should talk about that for a quick second. Yeah. Just in case anyone's not familiar before we get into what brought the whole topic to mind. Yeah, let's let's talk about house rules and when to use them, and then the 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 actual what brought the topic to mind. So, okay. you know, a house rule is a rule that is not explicitly stated in the book, or a rule that you've changed how it's stated or how it works, right? Mm -hmm. So, this is as simple as like when you crit, you deal double damage plus dice, right? Or 
you know, anything like that. There's a lot of house rules that you use in D&D that people just don't realize. Mm -hmm. But when I find it the most useful and when I use house rules is a lot of times if I read a rule and I'm like, that is too complicated for me to be like, uh, yeah, you know, we got to do you got to do 16 plus four plus your mod plus this. And no, I'll just throw that all out the window and be like, I don't know, give me a check. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's yeah. But house rules can be anything. It could be that you adapt a rule from a different system to the game you're playing. I'm sure there's a lot of people who have assorted house rules around, say, initiative. Mm -hmm. any any number of things like that you know one that's been brought up uh in games that we've played is um i forget what they called it but like the double or nothing house rule oh yeah with yeah. genesis where yeah i've never it, heard that before but yeah because every now and then with genesis the dice come up in a complete wash and so i forget exactly how that worked was it that you add you upgrade both sides of the check roll again and yeah. either the triumph or the despair comes up it's amplified I think so. I think that's what that was. That one was like, oh, wow, I've never heard that before. But yeah, that's something that I would absolutely try. <laughs> yeah, it could be something as simple as, is, you know, homemade crit charts or anything, crit tables, whatever. You know, there are all kinds of things. But, you know, like you said, often they serve some purpose that for your table is simplification of, yeah, simpler or more fun. Yeah. Yeah. Like, um, I did it once. And I, I would probably do it again. I put exploding dice into Dungeons and Dragons. That's interesting. You roll a 20, roll it again. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Just mark that down real quick. Yeah. That's a little bit different, but yeah, it, it was fun because it was like, it, it you know, it, it made those crits a little bit more extreme. You know what I mean? Mm hmm. Exploding damage dice could get weird D and D with the yeah. handfuls you roll sometimes. Yeah. Exploding dice is a fun house rule to add just to about anything. Yeah. Well, here's a house rule that I used to use. And, and this is going into what you were talking about as far as like just being simpler. And this was a house rule that was actually done either due to incomplete reading or just ha not having found the section. This was back when I was running riffs. And of course, you know, I've grumbled about it a lot. Riffs organization is uh, less than stellar. But Riffs has a mechanic called a horror factor, which certain monsters have. And it's, well, especially at the time, I equated it to kind of like the sand check in Call of Cthulhu, because I played Call of Cthulhu. And, you know, so it was kind of like, okay, that's more, you know, that was just kind of how I did it. And so for whatever reason, we had been playing it where if, you know, you, you encounter the monster and everyone rolls their horror factor save, and if you failed, the way we've been playing it is you just kind of sat there kind of dumbstruck going, da, 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 you know, kind of like in shock. And, you know, over time, eventually it morphed because you always had that one, you know, and then once you, you've made the save, you were fine. But we eventually modified it because inevitably you end up with this one person who will have a string of just crap rolls mm -hmm. and keep failing it. So as a house rule to our house rule, we added on that. If you failed three horror factor checks in a row, you pissed yourself and ran the other way. Ah, <laughs> okay. So we've been playing like this for, I don't know, like year, year and a half. And then I stumble onto on page 114 of the core rule book. There is, oh, a small paragraph about what you're supposed to do. <laughs> so tear that right out now, throw it out the window. And... So I find this 
And it says, you know, like you're supposed to, okay, the, the character that fails loses initiative. Like they, you're supposed to, to roll your horror factor save before you roll initiative. Mm-hmm. So if you fail, you don't even get to roll. <laughs> you're the last person to take an action and you cannot defend yourself against the creature's first attack, which means in, in Palladium and Melee, you have parry and dodge and all these other things. So, you know, and then it goes on to say, yeah, you, you snap out and you can re- rejoin in the second second round, we'll call it, right? They call them melees, but that's, I'll get into that because that's another house rule. But Couldn't that be like extremely deadly in Rifts? Oh, yeah. It could, plus it's it's like, it's more crap to keep track of. So yeah. when I found this, and I think there may be another section somewhere, because I didn't write it down when I found it 20-some years ago, but that there's actually more penalties and all kinds of crazy crap involved. So wow. I find this, and so the next session we get together, and I read the section to my players. said, look, this is how you're supposed to do it. We've been doing it the way we've been doing it. Every single one of them went, let's just keep doing it the way we've been doing it. It's more fun. Yeah. Yeah, I would too. I'd be like, nah. I'm good. You know, and that was, call it a house rule born out of ignorance, but it was easy and everyone enjoyed it. Yeah. Well, and then there's the house rules that you don't even realize are house rules, right? Mm-hmm. Like back when we played D&D together in person, there was the failed perception check. Ooh, I have shoes. <laughs> yeah. That was like, that's was never explicitly stated, but that was what everybody defaulted to. Yeah, well, it was sort of the miserable failure on a, on a perception check. Okay, I rolled a three. Yeah, I, I'm, 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 man, my shoes are shiny today. Yeah. Ooh, look, I got shoes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so what brought this all about was Seth Skorkowski tweeted out a, a statement that read along the lines of... I've got it up if you want. Oh, me. yeah, if you want to read it. Yeah, and this is this is Seth's tweet. It says, I've said it before, I'll probably say it a thousand more times, but house rules should enhance an RPG system, tailoring it for you and your group. That's fun and awesome. But if house rules are necessary to fix or make a system playable, then it's a broken system. Ta-da. And I absolutely agree with him. I think that is one of the most accurate statements said on Twitter today. <laughs> yeah, and then he goes on in a couple more like follow-up tweets. He said, you know, every RPG he's played for more than three sessions, had some house ruled added, and so on and so forth. But I get the principle he's he's bringing up. Yeah, if you're if you're house ruling the entire system, just, the game's broken. Play a different system. Uh, yeah, sorry. Or crazy thought: take the base of that system that you like, house rule everything, and you could play that. Sure, if you really want to. That I look as much as we're like try other things. I give a little bit of respect to the people that are like, I could play everything in fifth edition. Yeah, yeah show, make the rules for it. I'd love to see it. I I think some of it comes down to taste, right? You and I have, have had this discussion. There's elements of the fifth edition design that I'm just not fond of. I'm not terribly crazy about level-based advancement. I'm not crazy about D20 as a core mechanic for reasons that I can't exactly quantify. But, you know, you know there's, there's things that just don't jive for me doesn't mean it's bad yeah no i i my problems with it are more with the how do i want to word this my problems with fifth edition now are kind of more with the company and the culture around that that's i think that's fair to say especially the company and and the way that they seem to be packaging the game 
and yeah, there's a lot of I've complained about this privately, but I'll say it sort of on the podcast. There's a lot of suppression of other games and they don't they don't want to support the community. It doesn't feel like they want to support their community and that's it. And and I don't know how to say this, but this is a Hasbro thing. I mean, I know Disney's the parent company, but it's very much a Hasbro thing because Hasbro does it with their other products like Nerf or Magic the Gathering. That's another Watsy product, but it's very much a, oh, other games don't exist. We're the only game that exists. Meanwhile, the rest of the community is like, well, yeah, you're the market leader, but we're trying to support indie devs and we're trying to pump up the people that are trying to make this. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I don't know. I just have, I have personal issues with a company that is like, nope, we're the only ones. Yeah. I think it's like to, to a certain point. I think the, the slogan they plaster on the front of all their books says a lot, you know, where it says, oh, the world's greatest role-playing game. Yeah, yeah, well, here's what I know. I don't know what the world's greatest role-playing game is because it probably varies by the person playing the game. I do, however, know that there is no one greatest one. Therefore, I think the, the logo they put on the front of their books, or not logo, slogan, what that is the word, they put on the front of their books is a lot of crap. If they want to say the world's most popular role-playing game, I got no problem at all with that. But I think also, well, let's break into this a little bit. The the kind of isolationism you see a lot of times with the D&D community, or parts of it, I should say. Not all of it, because there's a lot of people out there that play D&D and a lot of other things too. But yeah. you have this group that that's all they want to do. And like, look, I, I good for you that you enjoy it. Yeah, I, I respect your tenacity. I don't have that will or want. Yeah. I I understand where you're coming from. And if you really, really like Dungeons and Dragons and that's what you like doing, that is great. I'm glad to hear it. You know, honestly, and I've said this before about my goal is to grow the community. And if that means growing the community and including the people that are all they want to play is Dungeons and Dragons, that's great. They can be part of the community, too. They can be part of the conversation of what makes good game design because absolutely they just have a different taste than I do. Right. But I think my problem is, is that sometimes when that olive branch is extended and I'm not saying this about necessarily any of our audience, but sometimes when that olive branch is extended, it's swatted away. Like, no, I don't want anything to do with you weirdos. You know what I yeah. mean? And, and that's, that's what leaves me with a like, Hey, that's, you know, we're just trying to be copacetic here, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> like I'm not opposed to playing fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons. It's not my preferred system, but I'll admit it with Spelljammer coming out. I'm actually thinking about going back to it. Yeah. I might go back to it forever on too. I keep talking about wanting to find something else and I keep falling back onto, you know, Keith Baker saying that the one core thing is, is viewing magic as a science and that's that can what, be taken as a technology. Yeah, 5e does that really well. And the D&D magic system does that. Yeah. Most other magic systems don't. I'm not going to say that's a flaw or a good thing necessarily, but it's just a fact of the system. Yeah, and to me, that being one of the core premises behind the design of the world, it's hard for me to get away from that. Yeah. You know, I've I've heard, you know, on our network, you know, there's the guys over at Eberron Renewed that play Eberron and Genesis, and it's great, but, but it, it gets away from that 
to me, that core premise. And it's just one of those weird things that I fixate on. Yeah. No, I understand completely. I agree with you. I think there's certain certain things. I've said it before and I'll say it again. If I want to play a high fantasy game, if I want to play heroic fantasy, which is the term that I've dubbed it, that is absolutely the system I'm grabbing. I'm grabbing D&D in either 5th edition or a late or an earlier edition and that is what I'm going to play it in because it does heroic fantasy fantastically and it makes you feel like a hero. Yes. Like that system, and and I want this to sound, you know, it is a bit of praise for it. That system makes you feel like you are super powered, like you are super strong. There's a million monks, but you are the best monk. Mm -hmm. And that's what that system does really well. That's not always the stories I want to tell. A lot of times I want to tell the stories where you are not the best at your job. You are just another person doing your job. You know what I mean? Right. Like cyborg and and just to draw an unfair comparison <laughs> cyborg during character creation yeah you make a character that can do their job they're not the best person at it oh no because they're super expendable yeah cyborg is a meat grinder yeah it really is and it's Mork a blast Borg's the same way Morkborg is the same exact way it's you're not the best person at your job as a matter of fact you're probably the worst but that's okay because you're not going to last very long. And if you do, it's fun. Congratulations. You get to live another day. <laughs> I don't know if that's a reward or a threat. Like, <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, and so like, you know, yeah, that's, I don't know how we got there from house rules. I, I don't I don't care. It's a conversation I want to have. So. <laughs> All right. So, yeah. No, I. I I, like I said, I, I welcome anybody who your only systems Dungeons and Dragons and you come to us for the for the awesome tool tips. All right. Great. I'm glad to hear it. Yeah, we will continue to provide tool tips and continue to suggest other games as well. Yeah. You know, I don't think we're never going to be a podcast that that goes nitty gritty on D&D. That's just not who we are. That's not what we want to do. But I think we one of the things that we do try to do is present a lot of things that you can apply to D and D or whatever game it is you're playing. Well, I don't think we're going to go nitty gritty on any game. Like, no, we've delved into games, but usually when we delve into a game, it's like, Hey, I don't understand this. Somebody explain it to me. Like, <laughs> yeah. When we had, um, who did we have on that explained fate? JT. JT was on and talked about fate. That was because we were both like, I don't know anything about fate. Do you know anything about fate? No, I don't know anything about fate. I have a book here, but I'd much rather talk to somebody to try and figure it out. Like Genesis. We mm -hmm. both had read Genesis to some extent, and then we had GM Chris on to talk about Genesis. And it was like, okay. Now we get it. Now we're addicted. Yeah, now we get it. Now I understand. I get it. I get it. It's the best system ever made. I understand. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I, I jest. But seriously, that's... We're just those people that like when I don't understand something, I'd rather have somebody sit down and either walk me through it or explain it to me. Right. Right. I'm good about racking my head against a wall, but sometimes it's like I just I need somebody to talk to. Yeah. Well, generally, that's bad for the wall when I do that with my head. But anyway, yeah. um, it's either bad for my head. Well, I'm not saying it's good for mine, but no. But I think that the other thing is, is that since we're off down this rabbit hole, let's just keep going for a little while. Some system like it's like when you get off the highway and you start driving in a direction and there's nowhere to turn around. Like I guess we're going this direction for a little while. So 
part of where for me, I guess I like multiple systems mm-hmm. is that depending on what kind of story you want to tell, like you said, you know, D and D is very good at that heroic fantasy thing where you're the big larger than life heroes, but it doesn't do not that very well. That's just the way the system is designed. And sometimes, you know, I don't want to, th- I, I want the story to be more of a, a slog. I don't want to be this big super powered, you know, as a player, I don't always want to be Mr. Badass. Sometimes I want it to be a struggle. That's half the fun. Let's talk about, we were talking about house rules let's talk yes. about some of my house rules that I've played with D and D with okay. and, and completely talking about completely changed the system. I had a, I had a game that I started and it, I kind of annoyed my players with it because I just wanted to, I felt like first level was too strong. Okay. And so I made them all start at level zero. Mm-hmm. They picked a race and they could have unconsciously picked a class, but they didn't officially pick a class. Their stats were unmodified by class and they had to basically work and do things to level into their class. Right. Mm-hmm. So we started at level zero. And if you wanted to be a fighter, you had to join the military and go through training and training entailed a bunch of, you know, all of the, all of the things you got proficiency bonuses in, right? Like strength or dexterity or any of those things. Those were all checks you had to make throughout the time that you're telling the story of your character, Mm -hmm. right? You have to make these checks and you have to succeed at them in order to get the proficiencies in order to become proficient in that skill. And it was, it, I, I was young. I played it annoying. I'm sorry. Going back to it now, I wouldn't have done so many checks. I did a lot of frivolous checks in that campaign. But what it did was it made my players realize how strong at level one a character is and then simultaneously really love the characters that they were playing. Mm -hmm. Because that's the first campaign that I had two people actually come up to me and go, look, I've started with this guy. I really don't like him. Can I switch characters? Yes, but you're starting at zero again. Okay, fine. That's kind of cool, though. Like, they they went, yeah, that was annoying, but I like, even though I didn't like the result, I like the, I know what I'm thinking. I just don't know how to say it. It's like, I liked the process to get there. I just didn't like what my character became when they got there. Yeah, that's I, that's a good way to say it. And it was both the players that had started with, like, joke characters. Mm-hmm. And they were both like, well... Everybody else is having a really good time with the serious characters. I I think I want to switch to a more serious character. Mm -hmm. Okay, fine. That's perfectly acceptable. But, I mean, that was me completely... Because D&D is not built for that in any stretch. You need to start at least at level one. Yeah. More realistically, in in more modern versions, you're starting at, like, level three, level five. Yeah, well, okay. Insert one of my little rants here. Um... I, the thing I don't like about first level in fifth edition is it feels like the game wants you to believe that you're a heroic character, mm-hmm. but because of the swinginess of the dice, you're very fragile at first level or can be. Can I be honest? Mm-hmm. I think that is partially on onus on who we played when they were running the game. Mm-hmm. 
because I have since gone back and reread some of that stuff because I've had a couple people come to me and be like, hey, you're this, you know, RPG expert. Can you teach me how to play D&D? And much to my chagrin, I was like, yeah, I can. And gone back and actually reread some of the challenge rating stuff. And once you understand the challenge rating stuff, that does mitigate that problem significantly. Fair. I don't totally understand that challenge rating thing other than I know it's based around like eight encounters per day or six encounters per day, but they're not all supposed to be combat. And I Yes. So what you end up doing is a lot of math involved. And it is, it is, man, I don't have the book in front of me, but it, I want to say it's six encounters per day. And basically what you do is you, you calculate that out and then you divide by the number of encounters that you're actually going to have. Okay. And you end up with a challenge rating that is fractionally smaller than it was originally. And you build around that challenge rating. So if you're not going to have eight encounters per day, you calculate out player level and all that information for the eight encounters per day. And then you divide all of that by eight or by say you're say you're only doing four encounters per day. Say you're only doing. Yeah, four is a reasonable number. You figure two social two non-social, right? Okay. Four encounters per day. So you divide the number. Uh, you do. You basically take your challenge rating number and divide it by two because you're splitting it in half. Mm hmm. And it produces a new challenge rating number. I mean, unless it's one. But if your challenge rating is one already, you kind of can't go down from there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you could go to like, there is challenge rating one half and there is challenge rating one quarter. And you could absolutely do that. But with a one challenge rating, you're just sort of, you're just sort of like, okay, we can just throw a challenge rating one monster at you. One of those. Right. Mm -hmm. And they can handle that because a level one party should be able to handle that easily. It's just a lot more math than is sold up front. Fair. And I realized this and I was like, oh, I really thought this system was crunchy. <laughs> yeah. Well, see, I think that's the other thing is, is I always felt like fifth D&D &D in general, but fifth edition is it's deceptively complex in a lot of ways. Yeah, I think that's part of its draw, though. I hate to say that, but I think that's part of the draw in. Is that because I, I was teaching it to new players and they were like, this is like a lot more work than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, it is. But once you're in and you learned it, it becomes a lot less work. Fair. Like once you've made your first character. Yeah, it's crunchy. And, and I'm not saying it's not. But once you've made your first character, you realize that, oh, it's crunchy in these particular ways. Okay, we can work with that. Yeah. There are games that are crunchier oh yeah there are and i and i don't think yeah crunch isn't like i'm not crunch averse i i like no. some crunch but part of and this may just be a a my brain issue is that as a game gets crunchier i start focusing on statistical manipulation yeah yeah that's that's a problem that i've run into with crunchy games is i start focusing on the numbers rather than focusing on the game Right. I've run into that with a couple things. Sometimes, depending on who I'm playing with, my brain does not work like that. Okay. So I'm not good at all with numbers, right? Mm -hmm. Like we both played with somebody who's very analytical and very much constantly calculating things mm -hmm. and could tell you, oh, well, you need to do this here or that there. 
that's not how my brain works at all. And I don't understand how they got to those conclusions. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I have that side. I sometimes fight against it and sometimes I just don't. Yeah. I, I, I don't have that side at all. And that's just because I, math has never been my subject. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like applied mathematics is fine. And I can do, I can do like probability to an extent. I understand that, but everything sort of past that. I'm like, uh, I don't know. But that like quick damage calculation, quick math, uh, uh. (laughs) but that quick damage calculation stuff, that's not me. But I think with really crunchy games, you get a lot of players who are very interested in that. And I think D&D can get that way, depending on the play group you're playing with. Yeah. One of the things I actually give another thing I give D&D credit for is that it doesn't have to be played crunchy or it doesn't have to be played like it wants to be played combat heavy, but if you, okay, the reason it wants to be played combat heavy is because nine times out of 10, when we play D and D, nobody wants to do the calculations for experience points. Right. So you do, um, milestone leveling. milestone leveling. Well, milestone leveling is great if you're going in dungeons and fighting monsters, but experience points is fantastic. If you're actually having social interactions and doing diplomacy. Because while they're doing diplomacy and passing checks, you can be, as the GM, quietly writing down 10 experience points, 10 experience points, 5 experience points. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. At the end of that session, even though there wasn't combat, you still are allotting and going, hey, you guys got this experience from having these conversations and working on your social skills. Mm Mm-hmm. But because nine times out of 10, when we're playing Dungeons and Dragons, we're doing milestone. And I mean, this in the literal we, right? You don't get any of that reward from doing social interactions. So it feels like the only reward you get is by doing the only reward you get is by doing combat because big number feel good. Yeah, no, that's fair. Yeah, it... I know, that's a really deep thought, but. It's just something that I've come to the conclusion of because, again, I'm running, well, not running, but about to start running 5th edition for a new player. Mm -hmm. And so I had to make the conscious decisions of they want to learn how to play it. They want to learn how to run it. I have to show them the different ways. And that's one of the ways that I hardly ever played D&D. I always played with just milestone leveling. Yeah, well, but okay. What you're describing, though, you can, so to speak, effectively put into milestoning. You just, you're counting other things toward it. If you're going to take the effort to put that in, you might as well just give the, if you're going to, I don't mean this to be rude, but if you're going to take the effort to sit down and start counting other things towards it, you might as well just at the end of the session announce how many XP points your players got. Yeah, fair. You're already, if you're doing all this other calculation on your end, just give your players a little bit of hope and be like, hey, you earned 50 experience points today. Oh, sweet. I'm halfway to a level, right? Like, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I see. I guess maybe to a certain point, that's one of the things level based advancement feels wonky to me anymore in a lot of ways. And I get it. Right. It it was a way to measure things and it, it allows you to advance more uniformly, I guess is a better way to put it. Yes. I don't know. I, I, I agree with you. And at the same time, I've, 
come around and I've gone off of it and I've come around and there's just been some some like brain power being spent on level based character advancement that on my end that I've been like, well, you know, it's actually like I was a little adverse to it. And then now I'm coming back around to being like, you know, level based isn't absolutely terrible. No, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, I guess it's personal taste too, right? Right. Yeah, that's another thing is all of this is going to be your taste and my taste could be completely different. Right. But like I said, it's one of those things where I've come to this conclusion where it's like, yes, I agree. Level based is a little bit can be a little bit uh, daunting. Well, I wouldn't say daunting, but annoying in certain ways. Yeah. Well, okay. here's here's and, and this, I guess perhaps goes to what you were talking about is, is how we play games. Right. I think that maybe one of the things that kind of ruffles my feathers with level-based advancement is that you just spent two or three levels slogging through dungeons. Mm-hmm. Suddenly you got better at negotiation. All you've been doing is beating the crap out of stuff. That's something that I think that's something that's a fault on how do I put this? That's a fault on the system because you could do level based and simultaneously you level up like you level up, but the the skills that you level up are specifically the skills that you've been using. Right. Yeah. Which given the structure of fifth edition doesn't work that way. Right. Right. I agree. I completely agree. I think that's a fault of the system that definitely could be worked on, ironed out specified in some way or another i don't think they want to do that because uh, sort of feels like the point of the system is to start off with an uneven character and then to end with an all-around strong character right and i i understand that mentality that's the hero mentality of like when you start out as when you start out as a fighter you're really only good at fighting you shouldn't be very good at talking right Mm -hmm. like that's arguably the dump stat or you shouldn't be very good at thinking that's another the dump stat but as you progress through the story you can pump points into making your intelligence wisdom charisma all of that go up you know right and i think that's trying to make you a rounded out like it's trying to make you the fighter right like mm-hmm. you're the man who can go into the room and and talk down the situation and also simultaneously everybody knows could kick their butt. Right. Yeah. I think that's part of that, but I don't think it comes through well. Yeah. I'm not saying that it's done right. I'm just saying, I don't think it comes through well. And I understand where you're coming from of like, yeah, it doesn't make any sense for me to go kill a bunch of monsters and then come out of a dungeon and be like, Oh, look, I'm powerful now. I'm, I'm stronger now. And what am I stronger in? Well, I'm stronger in my social skills. Right. And in a lot of a lot of XP spend systems, if you want to call them that, there's no rules stating that you can't put points into skills you didn't use. You know, that's one thing I I love how Delta Green does skill advancement. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 wonderful. Basically, for those unfamiliar with the system, it's D100 system roll under every time or the first time every session that you make an unsuccessful check in an ability, you put a little check mark by it. 
And then depending on which edition of the character sheet you have, because they've revised it a time or two, it's either you add like one point or it might be like D4 minus one to your rating in that skill. Yeah, I was going to say the version we played, I think, was D4 minus one. Yeah, some some editions of the character sheet say one, some say D4 minus one. But what they're doing is, one, you're only advancing skills you that you actually use. Mm-hmm. And two, they're emulating learn from failure. Right. Which I think it's great. I don't know how you translate that to D&D because the the math doesn't work. <laughs> well, the first thing I'll say about Delta Green and doing that, I think that's fine. And I appreciate that it's only once per session because that means that you don't, you're not constantly failing. You know what I mean? You're not right. constantly failing these checks and then being like, well, now I'm great at this. You do learn from failure. And I think that's a really good thing. I think the only way you could do that with Dungeons and Dragons is if you implemented it on a critical failure. Like you failed so hard that you realized you screwed up and you have to spend some time learning this thing. Right. Right. But but the plus one in D&D terms is much bigger than one to three points in a percentile system. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah I, I understand. I think that I think that's why it has to be a critical failure. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, go back to house rules real quick. That's a house rule that we play with that everybody is like, oh, that's not a rule. Crit failing social checks, crit failing uh, non-combat checks. What do they call those? Uh, well, skill checks. Skill checks. As written, the only criticals is combat. Right. You cannot crit fail a skill check. but Or saves. Yeah. I think you can. I, I believe, well, you can crit fail death saves, which is the annoying part. Yes, that yeah, that's true. Yeah, the, the annoying part with the saves is that I can crit, crit, crit fail a death save, and you have rules for that. <laughs> Should be the same for any other save, but that's just beside the point. And that's a house rule that we play with because, look, we were doing it earlier in the episode. When I sit here and go, uh, brain that's me literally failing to recall something I was trying to recall in my memory. That's me failing a wisdom check. Right. And if I can't draw anything to mind, that's a critical failure, right? Like, Fair. but if I can draw a little bit of something to mind, that's just, you know, if it's not exactly what I was trying to bring back up, well, that's, that's a failure, right? Mm-hmm. But a critical failure is when I'm just like, well, I don't know where that thought went. And it happens. It happens to everybody. But for whatever reason, they felt like that was an omission that they needed to add to the system. And they explicitly state it, which sort of irritates me because not a lot of things are explicitly stated in that system. Yeah. Yeah. I. But yeah, that's that's an example of a house rule that I think a lot of people play with is, you know, for D&D is, is crit either success or failure on, on uh, skill checks. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, another... One, another one I used to do in Rifts revolved around initiative. And the way this was partially born out of, I had someone playing either a crazy and or a juicer. I had one player that played both during various points in the campaign. And they're both super powered characters in, in their weird way. Mm-hmm. Okay. And one of the things that they get is they get boosted reflexes and boosted speed. And so they end up with a lot of, in, in Palladium, for 
whatever possessed them to do it uses 15 second combat rounds. So some of these characters, most, most of your characters would have three to four attack actions per round. It's a long time. Yes. Well, but when you, you add a juicer or a crazy into the mix, sometimes you're talking seven, eight actions per round. Plus, because of their boosted reflexes, they've got stupid bonuses to initiative, so they're probably also going first. So you have person with a lot of actions going first almost every time. They get to have all the fun. By the time you get to the guy who rolled low initiative, there's nothing for him to do. By the time, you know, you know, the Twinkie Avenger has six actions, and then on down, by the time you get to the fourth, pl- fifth player, the thing's half dead. And they've been right. sitting there for half an hour. Right. So what I used to do, and again, this was kind of something we agreed upon to kind of keep everyone involved, is we would go around the table taking one action each in initiative order. And then once you ran out of actions, you were done. So that ended up where the juicer or whatever would get a lot of their actions at the end of the round, as opposed to doing everything in a flurry at the top of the round. Mm-hmm but they wouldn't get as many. I don't know. Like, I know exactly why we did it and we seem to think it worked okay. I don't know. I could have also been misunderstanding the action economy at that point, but you know, that's another example of something that, you know, like I said, I've done to kind of just keep the whole table more involved. Yeah. I, that's something I'm keeping the table involved is really important. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm seriously tempted to try and port, the Genesis Star Wars slot initiative system into damn near everything I play. All right, you guys go here, you go here, you go here. You guys can fight over how you want to go. Yeah, I, I I wonder how that would play against D&D, though, because of all the fiddly little rules around the action economy. I think, personally, it would screw up the D&D action economy in a way that you weren't really intending to. Mm-hmm. What it does is it gives super analytical players sort of that upper edge. I think what it would do is I think it would suck the fun from the table because you would have not in every group, but when you have the super war gamer, the super analytical player, right? Mm -hmm. I think they would sit and go, all right, uh, we got PC, then NPC, then PC, PC, then NPC, right? Mm -hmm. You're going to go first. You cast this. You're going to go second. You do this. You should go third and do this. I'm going to go last and do this, or I'm going to go whatever position and do this and just fully lay out the entire turn. Right. And then you add into that with D&D, how with you don't get your reaction back until it's your turn, unless you further house rule that to say, you know, everyone's reaction refreshes at the top of the initiative order. But then you have all the stuff about if you start your turn or you end your turn in a thing and this effect lasts until the end of next turn, your that player's next turn. And like, there's so there's a lot of stuff that I think you would run into issues. Uh, not that I think it's perfect, but I think the D&D initiative system is one of the more flushed out things that they've done because they have to. <laughs> well, the thing is, I think it's one of those things that by the time you add in all the intertwined systems to it with reactions and, you know, spell effect durations and all that stuff, it's actually a much more involved system than 
almost anybody thinks it is when they just think about it. Yeah. Well, and I hate to say this, but the, the D&D initiative system has been, it's probably their longest lasting system that hasn't changed much. Yeah. I mean, this version of the action economy uses it differently, but. Yeah, but the system itself hasn't changed. True. Yeah, I don't it, see this is the other thing. Roll D20 add initiative modifier. All right, you end up on the list here. That's been true since advanced Dungeons and Dragons. Like Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a thing though. What we were just talking about though is an example of where you want to be careful making house rules or at least be aware of it when you're making house rules is that Maybe your house rule ends up affecting, you know, three different things in a cascade effect that wasn't what you, you know, you end up making problems for yourself you didn't want. I think that's one of those, you know, the the joke is always, it, I want to go off on a tangent on this. So let me say this first. The the joke is always that the the campaign doesn't involve, doesn't survive first contact with players. I think that's true for that system as well, for your initiative thought is that your initiative doesn't wouldn't survive first contact with players, right? Like some house rules don't survive first contact, right? Mm -hmm. Some house rules, you're like, okay, I think this will be good. And then you implement it and they break it in such a way that you're just going to be like, nope, we're going to throw that out unless you guys are really, really determined to play with it and do something else. Mm hmm. And the tangent I wanted to go off on the the idea of a campaign doesn't survive first contact with players. And and I know we've gone off on a ton, ton of tangents, but isn't that the point of a campaign? Like the point of the campaign is for you, the GM and the players to have fun and to tell a unique story. Right. Like if we wanted to tell the same and and they talked about this on a, a bit on a, to a tabletop. Liam talked about this a little bit. If you wanted to tell a story, write a book, right? Like <laughs> you want to tell a story that's not, that isn't like completely random and it doesn't have these wild changes. Fine. There's ways to express that. Write a book, um, create an audio drama, do something. Right. Tabletop's not necessarily the place for that, right? Like you can have a story and be like, I want my players to be involved in this story, but if they don't care and they don't want to be involved in that story, they're not going to do it. And you you railroading them hard to get them to do that story is not going to make them enjoy it anymore. Right, right. Yeah, well, that goes to the, you know, the, the idea behind a sandbox where I've said it before. A sandbox, you, as the GM, you have to have all these bits and pieces and moving parts going on that are happening regardless of what the players do. Right. In addition to action consequence with the players you know you have to have a planned out set of events you know kind of like how uh, when we talked with justin ecock about pacing how he was saying you know at at this time mark in the in this adventure this is going to happen regardless of where the party is at you know that's yeah that's that's i think yeah you can't and that's not railroading that's that's having a living world yeah, that's different, though. What I'm more talking about is, is and I don't know if you listened to this episode. It was a couple of weeks ago. My main, I'm a little behind. But yeah, Liam was talking about, you know, being frustrated with a GM who who was like, no, this is my story. And basically, 
I, I've heard it other places too. It was something that sort of popped up recently. There's a conversation topic, but this idea that the that you as the GM are so set on telling this particular story that the players cannot screw up your story. Get that out of your please get that out of your head because you will you will find nothing but disappointment the entire time you're trying to do that. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying this to be rude to anybody. I'm not saying this. It's just a bad GMing tactic, right? Mm-hmm. Like there are things that you can do to keep your players on task. If you have a problem with keeping players on task, that's a different issue than you have a problem of the players not following your story. The players may not be interested in telling your story. So find out the story that they want to tell. Listen to what they're telling you because they're there to have fun too. And if you enjoy telling stories, backburner that one you had planned and tell the story that the players want to try and tell and make it your own and give it your twist and you can incorporate parts of your other story into that and maybe just maybe if you work with them the next time you try and tell that story they'll work with you yeah and and that is the that is the handshake that is the gaming handshake of like i scratch your back you scratch mine right like i'm gonna give you a lead here because you guys were wanting to go down this path uh, in exchange, I'm going to throw a dragon at you a couple couple chapters from now. And hopefully, as uh, as long as I did everything right, you guys should be wanting to chase that dragon. Right. Yeah. It's not just, yeah, like like you said, if you are have this grand narrative all plotted out, that's, yeah. And like, I don't know how to say it. Like, this is where when I talk about, you know, planning and bullet points, that's kind of what I mean, right? Like. You have this kind of in your head, this structure of events that, okay, this is going to happen. And then based on what the, how the players react to that, that determines where we go next. So what I'm going to say is, is that yes, but also be prepared to completely throw out your bullet points and role play. Yeah. Like that's something that it's something that like I talk about improvisation and not everybody's good at improv. That's fine. But if you're playing role-playing games, you need to be prepared to roll with what the players are doing and roll with what the world is doing. And to say improv is a daunting term, but you need to understand that you're in control of the world, not the players. That's, yeah, that's that's a weird thing to say, but I understand exactly what you mean. Well, what I'm driving at is that in our Wednesday night Mutant City Blues game, I have no control over when one of my players wants to start licking the shoes of children. (laughs) And I hope he listens to this episode. But legitimately, I have no control over when one of my players is going to use something like that. Like, granted, I can be like, whoa, no. but. I can't necessarily control that, right? Yeah. And I have to accept the fact that I can't control that. What I can control is where the story goes after that. Right. And how the people around him react to that that are not players, right? How the NPCs react to that. Exactly. And that's where you have control of the world and not the players, right? 
Like, yeah, yeah, we talk about curveballs a lot, and that's one of those things where the easiest way to exp- to roll with curveballs is to accept the fact that you have very little agency over what your players actually physically do. Yeah. No, that's exactly, you're right. And it, yeah, it's, I know exactly what you're saying. I just don't know how to add to, to what you've said. Yeah. Started rough, ended strong. All right. Game of the week. <laughs> <laughs> Is it time for game of the week then? I, I think so. I think we've, All right. we've said a lot tonight. Yeah, I have no idea what the heck I'm going to title this one. Cause it's uh tangents and house rules or house rule tangents, or I don't know. I don't know. We went, uh, uh, yeah. We got lost in a house. <laughs> brain brain braining anyway that's what you just call it brain brain braining there that's we it go. there you go episode title <laughs> all right so much for house rules all right how about some game of the week action then yeah let's do it oh game of the week game of the week game of the week all right you going first or am i going first uh you know what you go first, because I think I have a game, but I, I just want to do a little bit of poking on it first. Okay, so I'm going to go with one. I've been sitting on this one for a while, and this is a game I I, I really want to try it out. game called Mashed. Oh, I hate you. <laughs> hey, look, I've been sitting on this one for months. I know, because I was talking about it months ago, and you... Well, I think I showed you it when I found you it. You did, you did, because I was <laughs> like, go ahead and explain what Mashed is, and then we'll talk about it, because... I got thoughts. Oh, this is, yeah, uh, welcome for more tangents. So what this is, it is, it's powered by the apocalypse, and it is a game about mobile army surgical hospitals in the Korean War. <laughs> you might recognize this theme due to a um, rather well-known television show that went by a very similar moniker. Yeah, what are you, who are you playing as? Well, we're uh, MASH uh, 4066. Yeah. So, uh, (laughs) this game though is not, and it specifically says in the bottom of the listing, mashed is not based on or derived from, or should not be implied as an official or authorized part of the mash media franchise. Mash is a registered trademark for 20th century Fox film corporation. Right. Yeah. Uh I, I read somewhere and I'm not seeing it in the listing. So I must've looked it up on the publisher's website or something. What they actually did is a lot of the source material that they used in researching this game is the exact same source material that was used to write the television series. Okay, I see. So draw your own conclusions from that. Is it MASH, the role-playing game with the serial numbers filed off? They're defining it as not. Yeah. Could it be? (laughs) It very much could be. Yes, exactly. And the thing that I think, because I absolutely love that television series. Oh, I do too. I just I might watch some of that tonight. I haven't watched it in a while because it, it's so much of it's it's everything, and yet at its core, it's stories about how the war affected people. Right. It's not about the war itself. It's not about the war itself. It's not about the surgeries. It's about the characters. Right. And I think that's. The fact that it's PBTA makes me really happy because I think that's what PBTA does well. Granted, don't know this for a fact. Haven't played any Powered by the Apocalypse games. But right, saying from everything I understand about Powered by the Apocalypse, 
that's what PBTA does right. When mm-hmm. I first approached you about this, I was like, man, I want to play a MASH game. And I was going to set it using, I was going to use um, Twilight 2000. And you're like, no, don't do that. I'm like, really? Like, yeah, use this. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. I mean, that show, I don't know. Some of the darkest moments of that show are like, it, some of the darkest, most serious moments of that show are not about anything actually graphically happening but the characters reactions to something happening well classic example of that is the scene and i don't remember what season but you know what i'm talking about when when uh radar o'reilly comes in to announce the thing about colonel blake's plane yeah and that well i just think of it wasn't a chicken yeah that one too that was was that from goodbye farewell amen i think so i think that was the ending yeah, but that's but the, that's a moment that it's a character telling a story, right? That's not a moment that you see anything. You hear some stuff, but you don't see anything. Yeah, yeah. It is, but it just is. That series told so many good stories. Well, an innocuous episode I watched the other day. Um, the whole episode, like not the whole episode, but a big part of the episode was about the colonel that had showed up on base and was all upset because they weren't doing surgery on this guy and all the shenanigans that went on on the on the mash base when you know at night Mm -hmm. and he went in he talked to i can't remember his name alan alda uh Uh, hawkeye 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 was like no we're not doing surgery till 3 a.m i need to make sure that he can hold blood and the colonel was so incensed he had to go talk to the higher ops and he stomped around the base and ran into every single character on that base until he got every character talked to and found, found the head honcho. It was 3am. We're doing surgery now. Cut to the end of that episode with him going, well, you're one hell of a surgeon. he's like, just don't, don't question my method. Just accept it. Like, yeah, there's a method to the madness. And that's a character moment. None of that had anything, you know, it was a goofy episode that ended with this, just this realization that, Oh, these guys are good at what they do. Yeah. And, and the, and some of it is, you know, if you think about it from a, a, yeah, there were a lot of very comedic moments in the show. Right. But there was a lot of it where if you think about it, the comedy was just the characters dealing with the stresses of the environment they were in. Well, not saying it's good. Klinger, you know, always always did drag and they always played it up for laughs but the reason Klinger did drag was so that he could get kicked out of the army for being crazy yeah like (laughs) that was the point of him doing that was so that he would get like so they'd be like no you're nuts get out of here that's a really dark concept yeah yeah the whole like yeah there was so much behind the surface levity of that that you know I don't know. I, I just, it's a show that, well, I've referenced it too. Like, okay, one of my favorite, if you will, antagonists, and I say favorite in quotation marks, right? Frank Burns. Mm-hmm. I have a freaking reaction every time I see that character on the screen. And yet, really, for the most part, he's just a doofus. Yeah. But you end up having this reaction to him, right? Yeah. I, we could talk about MASH for a long time, and I, I really would love to. But t- 
to tell that kind of story in an RPG would be fantastic. I will say that is one of those ones where if I were to ever play a MASH RPG that has some very, very heavy content warnings at the least, because I have friends who've been in the military and I have family who've been in the military. And I know from their reactions to just watching the show of MASH that they're like, yeah, I, uh, I love the show, but I, I can't watch it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I know that if I were to run that for a group of people, we would have to have like some games you can have a little bit less, uh, a little bit less safety tools than others. I think that's one of those games that you have to have a lot and, and very open about the safety tools and the fact that, you know, Hey, this is going to deal in themes that are very deep, very hard to swallow pills and, you know, if it's something that you can't handle, we can stop, we can move on, but, you know, we can fade to black, we could even cut the entire bit, but understand we might touch on something, we might touch a nerve, and that's something you have to definitely explain. Yeah. Especially to, and I don't mean this to be rude, but to someone younger who's never experienced MASH, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I think as you get, at least as I've gotten older, I see the television show differently. Yeah. You know, initially it was often a lot of yucks, you know, uh, there is a lot of yucks there. There is a lot of yucks in those episodes, but yeah, it's when you look at the deeper story and context is everything with that show. Yeah. Yeah. And there's so many layers to a lot of it. And like you said, we could, we could probably both talk about that for a long time. Two hours. Yeah. (laughs) I love mash so much. But, but yeah, I mean, you know, this has mechanics that, um, you know, you have surgical moves, you have, yeah, but you also have stress points, which says that can, to affect personalities and even change the roles your characters are playing. You know, so I'm assuming in, in a powered by the apocalypse context, that means you might, I don't know if you change playbooks or if there's like, what do you want to say, sub roles within the playbooks. I don't know. This is the game that's going to get me to play powered by the apocalypse. I'm just telling I, you. Oh, I, I, yeah, I need to read this badly. Yeah, you, you and me both. But it, um, it, yeah, it just looks and like some of the because there's like mini reviews and stuff about this all through the listing on drive through. And one of them, let me find it. This is from one of the co-creators of Apocalypse World. Is it says, MASH weaves history and military procedure through the game in a totally fitting way. Doesn't dwell on or ignore the challenges of the era from modern eyes. Features brilliant use of countdown clocks and wounds. You know, and that's from Megway Baker, who mm-hmm. was co-creator, co-designer of Apocalypse World, which, of course, is where part right. of the Apocalypse all comes from. Right. But, yeah, you know, this, this boy, it looks like it could be a really powerful game, but I think you're, you're you know, very good to point out that you would want to have some, some safety tools and, and some serious Session Zero discussion about this game, you know, because it can it could turn very dark very quickly and depending on everyone's life experiences could really hit some nerves. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think that, and, and <laughs> yeah, that's very thematic for the show of mash too, because, Oh yes. Cause I've watched that show and it's hit a nerve time or two and I've been like, okay, that's touching some feelings. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, 
all right. So that that was mine. That's again for those that didn't catch us. That the, the name of the game is Mashed. M A S H E D. Yep. No asterisks and such like the uh, the television show. But uh, yeah, no, it's it's it is um, as stated more than more than just the numbers filed off. But yeah, I think it's 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 giving you a chance to make your own version of it. You know, not just oh look here you can be the you're the characters from the TV show. This is about telling that kind of story, but not being that. Right. Right. All right. Well, my game is not that deep or heavy or any of those things. Okay. My game is a brand new game. And I mean brand new as in added today. It is called Agent Pervocator. Okay. I'm sending you a link. Okay. Just, just writing just... things down. Boop. <laughs> All right. Where do I start with this? Okay. I'll start with the tagline and then I'll explain my thought process. Oh, you son of a gun, you. What? Provocateur. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Agent Provocateur, you are a special agent who works for the secret counterterrorism organization known as the Feline Operations Group. Together with your fellow agents, you travel the world, stopping dastardly villains from carrying out diabolical plans. Travel to look, uh, exotic locales, investigate mysteries, fight henchmen, save the world in this GMless, no prep game of heroic daring. Do for one more for one or more players. You play as cats. That's the pun. Yes, and it's GMless because I don't hardly ever pick GMless games. But ages six and up too. Yeah, this could be a fun game for kids. What I was going to say is a terrible movie, but in the 90s, there was a, a movie called Cats and Dogs. And uh, the basic premise of the movie is that, like, cats and dogs fight, right? Mm -hmm. Well, what if they were both, like, super secret spy agencies? Mm -hmm. And that was basically the premise, is, like, the cats are evil, and the dogs are the good guys, and they're both spy agencies, so it's all this counter, like, all this counter spy stuff, and, like, that type of story. I saw this, and my brain was like, ooh, that reminds me of that thing from when I was younger. And um, it's goofy. It's silly. I think my friends that really like cats would probably really enjoy this game. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I know a lot of people who really like cats, and I was like, this could be fun. Yeah? But, yeah, just a fun, goofy, GMless game about being a cat spy. Mm-hmm. I had a back all three bucks. Yeah. And that it, does look like it could be fun. It'll make Steve mad because he realized the pun. <laughs> oh, well, it's all good fun. Yeah. Well, with all of that being said, we had a fantastic episode tonight, but we want to thank everyone for listening. As always, links to everything are in the show notes, including... Facebook, Twitter, Discord, TikTok, and soon to be some other things. Patreon. Patreon's there. If you there. feel like helping us out. Yeah, if you feel like throwing a little bit of money our way, it'd be much appreciated. You get some cool stuff. We got some cool guests lined up, and one of our Patreon tiers allows you to ask questions to guests as they come on to the show. So with mm -hmm. all that being said, we want to thank you for listening and remind you to be kind to one another and get out there and play some RPGs. Yep. Take care, y'all.
Intro and outro music by the band 12 Noon. You can email us at meandsteverpg at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter and RPGs. Find us on Facebook at Me and Steve RPG Podcast. On Discord at Me and Steve RPGs. And as always, all of these links are in the show notes. Thank you and be kind to one another. Cigar. Cigar, 20 bucks, dog. You got to go down the street to the store and buy that. Oh, all right. Should we try yeah. and put this, this wagon on the, on the, on the road? Oops. We... <laughs> Try and put the wagon on the tracks. All right, let's go. Okay, wagon on the tracks. Train's coming. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, we wanted to talk about something. Uh, nope, you do that. You do that you, bit. I do that bit? Okay. You do that bit. I My brain brain brained. <laughs> Your brain brain brained. <laughs> All right. Well, my brain brain will brain brain and then brain brain brain. Seth Skorkowski on his Twitter had posted, uh, well, posted, I had created, mm-hmm. made a tweet. What? Yeah, had had tweeted or tweeted Tweet, or I, tweeted, tweeted. Tweeted. I don't know. We are old. You are old. <laughs> I am old. We are old. Uh, <laughs> I can't brain, and you are old. I think is the problem. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Between us, we have an IQ point and a half, and it's running away. <laughs> yeah, I killed the last brain cell I had. I don't know why I did it on accident. I definitely did not intend to sit on it, but, <laughs> um, stop, 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 stop. I know it was a very rambling episode, but I liked that episode.